0: Welcome to the podcast. On this episode, Nick and I sit down with Andrew Davidson, VP of Cloud Product here at MongoDB. And we're talking today about the latest innovation built right into MongoDB Atlas, our database as a service, multi-cloud. So this gives you the ability to deploy and manage your instances of MongoDB in the cloud across the three major cloud providers, AWS, Azure, and GCP. Andrew tells us all about this innovation and how it can be used and some of the benefits. So stay tuned. I hope you enjoy the episode.
1: You're listening to the MongoDB podcast. MongoDB podcast. Exploring the world of software development, data, and all things MongoDB. And now your hosts, Michael Lynn and Nick Raboy.
0: Andrew Davidson, VP of Cloud Product.
1: With MongoDB, how are you, sir? Good to see you, Mike. I'm very. I'm doing very well, thank you. Uh, you know, it's been a busy couple of weeks, and I'm super excited to be here to, to talk to you about what we've been doing.
0: Absolutely. Uh, we're going to talk about multi-cloud today and innovation added to MongoDB Atlas. Uh, but before we get there, Andrew, I wonder if you would just explain or, or just introduce yourself to the audience. Who are you, and what do you do?
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, as as Mike intro me earlier, I'm VP of cloud products here at MongoDB, which basically means that I focus on our cloud business and what we're bringing our, to market for our customers. And also thinking about how that, how those services for our customers evolve over time and the roadmap around them and how we explain them to the world as well and how our users use them and over time grow on them and in deep partnership with us. So, you know, I've been around MongoDB for quite some time, for eight years. And Mm. in that time have really sort of seen this huge shift that that everyone involved at MongoDB has been part of with our DNA shifting from being more of a software company to being a true cloud company. And it's been a really a five year journey over the last five years. And to me, this announcement we made last week that Mike was just alluding to is really the culmination in many ways of that journey. So couldn't Mm. be more excited.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And eight years, eight years at a, at a software company is a lifetime. Um you no, were at no. Google prior to this. What did you do at Google?
1: I was involved in a, uh, a special team there called Ground Truth that was remapping the world. Mm-hmm. And it was it was all about building a new map data set using Google's unique Street View and other, you know, inputs to to basically make all of the maps that you utilize every day on Google Maps better uh, and for Google to be able to evolve that data set faster. So it was a very human mm-hmm. project that involved thousands of human operators doing an enormous amount of complex work. Because the bottom line was this is not something that you could do with with ML at that point anyway. I'm sure they've evolved mm. a little bit since then. It's been a long time. Mm.
0: Fantastic. So, so in your eight years, what other things have you done at MongoDB?
1: So, you know, I really started out focusing on our traditional on-prem management software, something called MongoDB Ops Manager, which was kind of the mm. core part Differentiated differentiator in our enterprise advanced offering. And at that time, you know, the company was more focused on essentially monetizing, getting off the ground through, through traditional IT operations. Even though we were always about developers and developers were always building great new applications on the database, in a way we had sort of moved our focus from a monetization perspective to, towards a more op-centered view. And I was a big part of that. But, you know, I was able to make that shift and kind of recenter, recenter on the developer uh, when we kind of moved into a true cloud platform. And that's been uh, a lot of fun ever since.
0: Yeah. Amazing journey. Um, so from Ops, Ops Manager to Atlas. And yeah. uh, I guess I, I want to be cognizant that not all of our listeners will be familiar with Atlas. So maybe give uh, a description of what Atlas is from your perspective.
1: Totally. Yeah. So MongoDB Atlas is a global cloud database service. It's available on the big three cloud providers, AWS, Google Cloud, and Azure. And it's truly elastic and declarative, meaning you can describe a database cluster in any part of the world on any region, 79 regions across the three providers. And Atlas does all the heavy lifting to get you there, to do the lifecycle management. You can do infrastructure as code. You can manage your database clusters in Terraform, or you can use our beautiful user interface to to learn and, and deploy. And we, you know, we realized it's not enough to have a, an elastic database service. Like that's the starting point. It's also not enough to have the best modern database, one that's so native to developers, one that you know, speaks to that rich data model of MongoDB with the secondary indexes and all the rest. Really, we needed to go beyond the database, and so we focused heavily on helping our customers with prescriptive guidance, schema advice, index suggestions, and you'll see us keep evolving there because we recognize that. You know, really every week, tens of thousands of people are coming onto the platform for the first time. And we need to just lower the barrier to entry to build successful applications on the database. We've mm-hmm. also augmented Atlas with key platform and expansions by including search. We have Lucene-based search indexes now native to Atlas. So you don't have to ETL that data to a search engine and basically build search right into your operational applications. We've got online archive for data tiering into object storage economics. And with MongoDB Realm, we now have synchronization all the way back to the Realm mobile database and data access services, all native to the platform. So, Mm. you know, it's all very exciting, but fundamentally, what what has been missing until just last week was true multi cloud clusters, the ability to mix and match those databases across the clouds, to have replicas that span the cloud providers, uh, or to seamlessly move from one provider to the other with no downtime, with no change in connection stream. So that's really exciting.
2: Hey, that hey, Andrew, I have a question for you. And this is a question yeah. that uh, I, I received quite a bit. So when when setting up your Atlas cluster, you're, you're of course asked to to choose between Amazon, Google, and Microsoft uh, mm-hmm. for your hosting. Uh, can you maybe talk about how that's different or what that's really for in comparison to the multi-cloud that, you, that we're talking about today?
1: Yeah, sure. Look, I mean, being intellectually honest, most customers of ours, most developers, most members of the community have a preferred cloud platform. And all of the cloud platforms are great in their own ways. I think they they each shine in in so many ways. And there's lots of reasons why folks will start on Google or start on Azure or start on AWS. And usually there's that preferred provider. So most users will deploy an Atlas cluster into their target provider where their other infrastructure lives, where their application tier lives, et cetera. That's, That's where the world is today for the most part. We know though that we're kind of at the bleeding edge of a new change that's happening in this market where over time people are gonna start more and more mixing and take advantage of the best of the different cloud providers. And so I think that those expectations are starting to shift and over time you'll see us probably boost the prominence of the multi-cloud option as the market kind of moves there as well.
0: And so this is available today and what other requirements are there if if I want to deploy an instance of MongoDB and leverage multi-cloud?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, Fundamentally, in order to use a multi-cloud database cluster, I think it kind of depends on what your use case is, what you're trying to achieve. But generally speaking, you know, database in isolation on, on a cloud provider ain't enough. You need to use something that's connecting to and using that database. So broadly speaking, you're gonna to wanna to have an application tier that's able to connect the database. And if you're across multiple clouds, and you're doing that for various reasons, like for example, high availability, resiliency, to be able to withstand the outage of a full cloud provider. Well, then you would want your app tier to also be multi-cloud, and that's the kind of thing that traditionally, you know, folks have not thought was easy, but it's getting easier all the time. That's why kind of uh, we're opening this up at the data, the data tier, and then others, you know, the Kubernetes platform, etc., are really opening up that portability at the app tier and really making this possible for the market. But you know before we sort of keep focusing on kind of where we are today, I think it wouldn't hurt to sort of rewind a little bit and talk about why multi-cloud is so difficult.
0: I mean- Yeah, that makes sense.
1: There's, there's broadly been two main reasons why multi-cloud is so hard. They kind of boil down to data and how how much data gravity there is. And of course, that's what our announcement is about changing. In other words, your data has to be stored in one cloud or another, or traditionally had to be. And so actually moving that data to another cloud or making it present or available in the other cloud, that was enormously difficult and traditionally made it so that people just felt multi-cloud was essentially not achievable. And the second key reason multi-cloud has traditionally been very difficult is that there hasn't been essentially a community-created or company-backed sort of way of standardizing operations around a multi-cloud posture. In other words, you had to go so deep in your AWS environment or your Google environment or your Azure environment to manage all of that infrastructure, to be completely comfortable with the governance and lifecycle management, that the idea of going and learning to go do that again in another cloud platform was just, it's it's overwhelming. Who wants to do that? What's starting to change that, though, is that there's sort of best-in-class uh, software vendors, as well as SaaS offerings, that are starting to basically, essentially build consistency around the clouds, and really are best in breed for doing so. So when you look at what maybe Datadog is doing for monitoring, or what uh, HashiCorp is doing with Terraform and Vault, Infrastructure as Code, and, and Secrets Management, and all the other exciting announcements they're always making, these kind, these, uh, these dynamics are are all kind of contributing to making it possible for. For customers to actually start truly doing this, and then we're coming in now with true multi-cloud data tier, and so it's highly complementary with those other offerings. And I think o- over the next couple of years, this is going to start becoming very popular.
0: So, sort of the next the next phase in the evolution of cloud computing. Totally, totally. I thought it might be good if we could take a look at it, and I know that some of the folks um, listening to this will be just that, just listening to it. So we'll try and uh, we'll try and talk our way through it as well. Uh, but let me let's give folks a peek at what this thing looks like. So I'm gonna share my screen here. Cool.
1: Yeah, and while you're pulling what, that up. Oh, go ahead, Nick. Sorry.
2: I was gonna ask, and then maybe maybe this is something that Mike's gonna show when he brings up his screen. Yeah. But uh, from a from a user perspective, mm-hmm. um, how how much involvement does the I guess the multi-cloud wire? Is it something that just happens behind the scenes and I don't have to worry a thing about it, or is there gonna be some configurations that we're gonna see?
1: Yeah, it's 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 pretty straightforward, you know, it's a, it's a very intuitive user interface for setting it up and then boom, your clusters multi cloud, which Michael show. But, you know, going back to the question before in order to take yeah. depending on what what use case you've got for multi cloud, and I, I would say there's about maybe four kind of use cases and happy to go through them. Depending on the use case, I think there's a different set of things you're going to need to worry about for how to use this from the perspective of your applications.
0: Okay, so for the folks listening in, um, I've opened my web browser and I'm visiting cloud.mongodb.com. I provided my credentials and I'm logged into my Atlas console. So I'm I'm on the first tab, which is Atlas, and I'm looking at the list of clusters that I've previously deployed. I've got a free tier cluster and some additional project-based clusters. And let's say I wanna deploy a new instance of MongoDB and I wanna make use of multi-cloud. The first thing I'm gonna do is is click the create new cluster button. And that's going to bring up the deployment wizard. And here's where you make all the decisions about what you want that cluster to look like. And Andrew, feel free to add color as I go through this. Totally. So uh, the first question is uh, global cluster configuration. And just for this demo, I'm going to leave that closed. We'll we'll leave that. Uh, for another day. The second panel is cloud provider and region. And here's where it gets interesting. Now, Andrew, at the beginning, when you described what Atlas is, you mentioned that Atlas is available on the top three cloud providers. So we've got AWS, Google Cloud, and Azure. But really, uh, doesn't, it, doesn't it exist above
1: the cloud provider? In many ways it does, you're right. And look, I think, it, it, thinking about kind of the history of how we got here, you mm-hmm. know, Atlas was launched maybe, Near about four and a half years ago on AWS, and then maybe three and a half years ago on Google Cloud and Azure, and mm-hmm. ever since that moment, you know, we've just been deepening our, what Atlas is on all three providers. And so, you know, we've gotten to the point where we can really sort of think about the database experience in, in a way that really abstracts away the complexity of those providers. And that has, all of those years of investment in each of them respectively is what has enabled us to sort of unify mm-hmm. them to, to together today in a way that you know frankly would just be a, a real challenge for someone to try and do on their own i mean the last thing you want to be trying to set up is a distributed database service across multiple clouds you know we've got some customers who've tried to do it and it's just it's a giant undertaking we've got you know large engineering teams working on this problem full time and boom, here it is. So now you can take advantage of it. We do it once, everyone else can use it a thousand times. That's the beauty of it.
0: Beautiful. Fantastic. And I just, I was reading the the update on the release schedule changes for MongoDB, the, the core server product. And I was just absolutely blown away with the amount of hours that goes into a, a major release, just incredible amount of hours. And then on top of that, the ability that you get with Atlas to deploy that in in multiple clouds, uh, pretty incredible. Let me
2: interject here for a second. We've got a question coming in from the chat. Uh, so off the band is asking, will Atlas support DigitalOcean or OVH or AliCloud?
1: Great questions. Uh, we don't have current plans to do so, but I'll tell you, You know, everything about our roadmap is about customer demand and what we're hearing from you. So hearing that from you right now helps us think about it.
0: Mm, great, love the questions, keep them coming. Totally. So
1: back to the screen.
0: We've got our create new cluster wizard up and I'm in the second panel choosing the cloud provider and region and what I notice something new I haven't seen before is there's a a callout box that is labeled multi-cloud multi-region workload isolation. So this is the key to multi-cloud am I am I right? That's right. So if I change if I toggle that radio button over to on, I see some additional options available to me and here is where I'm going to specify the electable nodes in a cluster. So we have three possible configurations. We've got the electable nodes for high high availability. We have the ability or the option to add read-only nodes, and we can specify the provider and region, and we've got an option to add analytics nodes. Let's just focus on the electable nodes for the moment, and by default, AWS is selected I think that's because i I selected AWS as the provider yep. but if i add if I click add a provider slash region, I now have the ability to change the provider to let's say GCP and then I can select a region and of course the regions are displaying Google's Google's data center list, so I can choose something that's uh, near the application. I'm I'm in Philadelphia, so North Virginia is probably the the closest. So now we have a a multi-cloud, multi-provider deployment. Um, any other notes or or things you want to call out, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, uh, I- actually, Mike, real quick. Yeah, uh, I missed it. Did
2: when you when you added GCP? Did you did you select two or did it prepopulate with that? I, I'm wondering what's the what's the thought process mm. behind uh, how it calculated each of those node numbers.
1: It's keeping the mod automatically for electable yeah. nodes. You have to have an odd number. That's based on you know I'm going to be using a raft-like consensus protocol, which allows us to ma- maintain read and write availability continuously as long as majority quorum is online. So if you add a third one, like uh, mm-hmm. if you add you know Azure for example for fun, why not? Mm -hmm. What that means is we're now spread across three cloud providers and you're going to have to make it an odd number. You're going to have to either make it one, you know, yeah. One, 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 or two, two, Mm -hmm. one, et cetera. What this means is you can now withstand the, a global outage of any of the three cloud providers and still have your application be uh, continuously available for both reads and writes because the other two cloud providers will continue to be online. And that's where you'll receive your uh, majority quorum from. So, you know, I think what we've just demonstrated here is kind of one of the four sort of dominant use cases for multi-cloud, which is high availability resilience. It's kind of a, a pretty intuitive one. In practice, a lot of people would wanna use this in the context of countries that have fewer cloud regions. You know, In the US, we're a bit spoiled. There's a bunch of AWS regions, a bunch of Azure regions, a bunch of Google cloud regions. But if you're a UK-based, France-based, Canada-based, et cetera, you know your preferred cloud provider might have just one region in that country and so being able mm-hmm. to expand into other regions from another cloud provider but keep data in your country for data sovereignty requirements can be quite compelling mhm so i would never want to deploy a single node in each of the
0: cloud providers right we still want a highly available cluster deployed in each of the
1: each of the individual cloud providers correct you can do 111 the downside with 111 is that during maintenance rounds you would essentially have rights that would move to your, your the, the second region on your priority list. Mm. And that's that's broadly reasonable, actually, if you're using majority rights from a right concern perspective. It kind of depends mm-hmm. on what you want to optimize for. One other thing yeah. I want to quickly show, Mike, is that there's little uh, dotted lines on the left side or, or but triple bars on the left side. You can actually drag and drop your preferred uh, regional order with that. And that basically is choosing which region, by default, will take rights if that region's online.
0: So a zone deployment with the primary. In this case, I've I've moved Azure to the top. That'll take the highest priority, and that will be my primary uh, right receiver.
1: Exactly. That that'll be where the primaries yeah. are. And then if, if 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 Azure were to be down, or Azure Virginia were to be down, then the what would have initially been a secondary in US East one on AWS would be elected primary. And that's where rights would start going. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah.
2: So Go you, ahead, you mentioned majority rights. Uh, can you explain what that is for anyone who might be new to that concept?
1: Yeah. So MongoDB has a concept of a right concern. And basically our, our, best, pra- our best practice is to configure your rights, which is a MongoDB client side driver configuration. Uh, to utilize the right concern majority, which essentially says to the, dr- the driver will not acknowledge the right from the perspective of the database and move on to the next operation until the majority of the nodes in the replica set have acknowledged that right. What that means, is what, what, what that kind of guarantees you is that you're not allowing your rights to sort of essentially get past what your replica set can keep up with. So, in a world in which you have really bursty momentary rights, you might consider a right concern of one, just make sure it goes to the primary. Uh, but that can have some risks at scale and, and so we recommend majority So in the list of use cases, you mentioned the first and probably the
0: the most popular, which was to to provide additional access and and availability in a in a sure. region where there's only right, only one provider. Uh, data center. Yep. Um, let's talk about some of the other reasons. Why would someone want to deploy multi cloud? Great question.
1: The second, which I actually think may even be more popular, although you might tell me, ah, it's not, it's not exactly as multi cloudy as what we just talked about. <laughs> but what I think is going to be the most popular is being able to move from one cloud provider to the other with no downtime. In other words, you're only multi cloud mm-hmm. during the transition, and then you're in the other cloud. So, you know, it's kind of, debatable, but having that freedom, that flexibility, and basically the way this one would be configured, Mike, is if you were to click cancel here and just go back to the single Mm -hmm. cloud provider view, you know, in a world in which you have a cloud, a cluster deployed on AWS, just like you have now, Mm -hmm. if this was a deployed cluster, you could just go to the top, select Azure or GCP, click deploy, and we would just move you there. Mm -hmm. That's also possible now. And the reason I think this is the most this will be the most commonly used is you know there's lots of reasons why folks need to be able to move from one cloud provider to the other. You know sometimes you have sort of an organization that's been acquired into another organization and there's a consolidation effort underway. Uh, sometimes there's just a feeling that another cloud provider has key capabilities that you want to start taking advantage of more, and so you want to make a change. Other times it's about really be feeling that feeling more future proof and and just being able to. To, to not be locked in and make that change. So mm-hmm. this one I think is more of a sort of boardroom level concern as well as mm-hmm. a developer empowerment thing. I mean, it's just really, it's really exciting to have at your fingertips, the power to feel like I can just move my data around to anywhere in the world across 79 regions. And nothing's holding me back from doing that. And I think mm-hmm. that that's just, when you sit at your workstation, that's really exciting.
0: Back to that uh, comment you made earlier, like really reducing that data gravity, Totally, and uh, increasing I guess fungibility yeah go ahead Nick
2: yeah so you mentioned being able to move things around so let me let me ask if this is the same scenario or same thing but when Mike was able to change the priority of each of those clouds can we change the priority um, after deployment like say uh Amazon is our priority right now for the next year but then ne- after that oh Google is our now top priority can we can we change that after the fact?
1: Absolutely. Bring up a great point. You know, In general with Atlas, traditionally, the philosophy was always that basically everything in this cluster builder that Mike's been showing should be the kind of thing that you could change or that you could configure when you're first deploying declaratively and that you could then change and Atlas will just do the heavy lifting to get you to that new declarative state. Hmm. However, up until last week, the only major exception to that was that you couldn't change your cloud provider. You could already change the region inside the cloud provider. And do you know change your multi-region configs, et cetera. But now you can truly change between cloud providers, change the order of priority for a multi-region environment that involves multiple cloud providers. All of those things can easily be changed. And when you make those changes, these are all no downtime operations. We make that possible by doing everything in a rolling manner on the back end and taking advantage of MongoDB's, you know, what we were talking about earlier, the distributed system, the consensus that allows us to ensure that we always have majority quorum online. And, and it would just mm-hmm. do all that heavy lifting to get you from any state to any other state, you you know, while preserving that majority. It's really kind of mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. It is,
0: and so powerful. So, what we're showing here is the deployer, like you said, but yeah. but this, all this, uh, this same screen comes up when I take a look at a previously deployed instance of MongoDB, and uh, I can make changes right in that same right in that same way.
1: Exactly, Pretty powerful. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a few other use cases I think we should just quickly talk about. We've gone yep. through two, sort of future-proof mobility moving from one to the other. We talked about high-availability resilience and how that's particularly useful in uh, countries where you might you know, want to keep data in-country and you might not have as many cloud providers, provider regions in that country. Uh, but the third use case that, that's pretty exciting is is, and I think empowering more for developers, is sometimes you want to take advantage of the best capabilities of the different cloud providers. Mm. You know, you might... You might love AWS because you, you know you just love serverless and you love Lambda and who doesn't? So you want to be there for that aspect of your application. Maybe you, will, you also want to be able to take advantage of some of the capabilities that Google offers around machine learning and AI. And maybe you want to be able to have the, the, the ML jobs on the Google side, be able to access your data with low latency in that cloud provider region. Well, now you can have a read replica in that Google cloud region and do that right there. Maybe you want to take advantage of, you know, Azure DevOps, you know, just love the the developer centricity that we're seeing from Microsoft and Azure these days. And again, being able to kind of mix and match and take advantage of, of the cloud provider you want unlocks possibilities and functional capabilities that developers just haven't really had at their fingertips before. So that's pretty exciting hmm. too. Hmm.
0: Great. Um, so any
1: other use cases that uh, that we want to mention? Yeah, the final one is kind of a a little bit of a special category. It's more about saying that sometimes, you know, so many of our own customers and people listening are themselves, you know, building software services and cloud services on top of MongoDB Atlas. And for people doing that, you know, you'll likely be aware that sometimes your end customers will stipulate which underlying cloud provider you need to use for them. It's a little. It's a little frustrating when they do that. You know, it's kind of like, oh my, I have to go use a different cloud provider to service you. And you know, you you, you can duke it out with them and maybe maybe make it happen without doing that. But now you have the ability to just easily service your end customers without that being getting in the way. I mean, just if, if mm-hmm. they have a rule that a certain cloud provider has to be used, you can just service them too. And so you know, we power so many layers of the infrastructure stack. So many SaaS services and platforms, so many of them, this is very compelling. Mm-hmm. So, if I've
0: got my data in AWS, they have a VPC. I can establish a VPC between the application and the database. Correct. And so, the same with Google and Azure.
1: Yeah, I want to be uh, there's an important note for, mm. you know, we offer MongoDB Atlas offers uh, VPC peering as well as private mm-hmm. link on, uh, AWS and Azure, we offer VPC peering on Google as well. In the context of our multi-cloud clusters that we've just announced, we don't yet have support for private link and VPC peering. You're gonna use public IP access list management. That will be coming along with global cluster support. Those will be coming in early 2021 is our current forward-looking statement. Obviously everything forward-looking, You know, there's uncertainty that there might be a disclaimer in there. But what we've launched today is really first and foremost, for accessless management. However, when you move one cluster from one cloud to the other, you can absolutely take advantage of peering today or privately. Uh, mm. What happens if? Am I let's let's start? Am I
2: because Mike has it up on his screen? Am I able to remove nodes from a cloud region
1: um, on demand at will? Absolutely. You can just add add more replicas. Just as we were saying, you can move from one to the other or sort of change your, your preferred order of where the rights go. You can add more replicas in any cloud at any time or remove them at any time. And, and you can parts. take advantage of Atlas vertical auto-scaling too.
2: That was mm-hmm. what I was going to ask. Cool. Uh, so how does that work? How How would you tell it, like, if, if it's going to auto-scale, can you tell it to auto-scale? Uh, how, how does it balance
1: between three, three different clouds? That's a great question. It, you know, the way Atlas auto-scaling works is you really... This is in the... So if you choose like an M30, you can see the uh, you know auto-scaling in there. And this is all,
2: for people who are listening, this is all in the create a new cluster uh, screen.
1: Basically, the way it works is we will vertically scale you if, uh, if any of the nodes in the cluster are uh, essentially getting to the point where they require scaling based on underlying compute requirements. The important thing to note is that it's a common misconception, I guess you could say, in MongoDB that you might want to sort of scale only certain replicas and not others. In general, you would want to scale them all symmetrically. And the reason for that is that the, the workload needs to be consistent across all of the nodes in the replica set. That's because even though the rights go to the primary, you know, those secondaries have to keep up with those rights too.
0: So, anyway. So, I just wanted to show that auto scale. Uh, question here. Oh, yes. Yeah, there we go. So If I'm deploying an M30, I get to specify at a minimum, I want to go down to an M20 and at a maximum, based on the read-write profile and the activity of the application, I want to go to a maximum of an M50, for example. Exactly.
2: But maybe maybe I'm missing something, and or maybe it's not even important uh, based on how things are designed. Hmm. Uh, Mike is showing how to scale up and down from M20 uh, to M50, but what if I wanted all of the new nodes to only appear on my third my third priority tier? Is that a thing?
1: Got it. Yeah, that's a form of auto scaling that's definitely. In other words, you're basically saying, what if I wanted to? Essentially, what you're getting at is, what if I wanted to scale my read throughput by adding more replicas? Sure. It's generally speaking, not the way we recommend scaling. We tend to recommend vertical scaling as Mm. opposed to adding read replicas. The reason for that is sort of, the reason for that with MongoDB is that if you you scale reads with replicas, the risk is that you could find yourself in a compounding failure situation where you're overwhelming all your replicas somehow, and then one goes down, and then all of a sudden you have Mm. the same workload going to an even smaller pool. So we tend to to vertically scale and or introduce sharding once you're talking about that kind of level of scale. However, there's scenarios in which to your point, you kind of want to have read replicas in other regions, let's say for uh, essentially servicing traffic from from that region at low latency and those kinds of use cases. And that's where I think you're right. Over time, we'll probably see more exotic forms of auto scaling we'll want to introduce. It's not there today.
0: Okay, so going back and we'll just finish out our create a new cluster, create a new cluster. I'll select multi-cloud and I'll select electable nodes in two, three providers. Some analytics uh, on Azure, maybe you could oh, use oh, Power, yeah, power I, BI. That's yeah. fine, that's totally fine. Okay. Not a problem. Okay, so, so a single cluster across AWS, GCP and Azure, and uh, we've got odd uh, nodes. Okay, looking good there. Uh, we'll select our cluster tier. Let's say an M30 is fine, and we'll specify the amount of disk. Okay. So, so any anything else that um, that we want to to bring into the discussion? Any other features that we're missing?
1: Not that I can think of. I'll, I'll say we've definitely had some interesting early adoption so far. You know, I'm not going to name names, but mm-hmm. we've seen we've seen you know folks both take advantage of moving between the cloud providers. We've seen some folks who. Have spread their clusters across multiple cloud providers in a target region, a target country. Like I mentioned, you know, being able to keep my data in Canada, but across multiple cloud providers, uh, we've seen use cases in uh, e-commerce. We've seen use cases in healthcare. We've seen use cases in uh, basically monitoring. We've seen emergency services use cases. So it's just great early validation uh, to have this out in the market and to have you know so much enthusiasm for the customers. So. If anyone is uh, keen to try this out, it's available to try in MongoDB Atlas today.
2: So this uh, this was a pretty good episode. If uh, actually we have a we have a question coming in, we might let's address this one first. Uh, just curious uh, that M stands for multi tier. Uh, where did this
1: naming convention derive from? <laughs> that's a that's a great question. The, the, the cluster tiers in Atlas from the very beginning we, we use this nomenclature. of The M10, the M20, the M30. You know. I, the uh, the not so creative answer is that it stands for MongoDB. Not Michael Lin either. Okay. But it's a good point that now we have uh, we, we can we can start saying claiming that it has to do with multi cloud potentially. I like that.
0: So what's next for? Um, can you talk anything about the roadmap? Is there anything that you can share about what's what's coming down the pike?
1: Look, we're just going to keep going bigger, faster, more customers, more scale. It's just so exciting. I mean, we're now powering on Atlas. Some of the biggest games in the world, some of the most popular consumer financial applications, applications that that make you know consumers' lives work, applications that enable manufacturers to 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 be continue building you know, building all the things that we rely on, applications that power it for a truly global audience. We're seeing incredible adoption in, in, in growth and growth in developing economies. It's just such an exciting time, and being you know on this cutting on the front end of front edge of seeing developers really just transforming the economy, uh, the digital transformation that's happening. We're just gonna continue it, focus on where our customers want us to go to to unlock more value for them, keep going broader on the data platform. You know, I I think I mentioned that search is a big focus for us augmenting the traditional operational transactional database realm, the mobile database community, and, you know, essentially making it possible to build those great mobile applications, and have them synchronize back up to the cloud mothership. I'm super excited about that and the global run up to the rollout of 5G. I think we're the possibilities Mm -hmm. in mobile are just going to be incredible to watch in the coming years. So yeah, there's just a lot, there's going to be a lot happening and we're all going to be part of it together. Sounds awesome.
2: If, uh, if people wanted to get in contact with you after this uh, episode airs you on Twitter, LinkedIn, where, where would you prefer people to reach out?
1: I would just recommend people email me directly, directly, andrew.davidson at MongoDB.com. Love to hear product feedback, how we can improve all, you know, that's what, that's what we're here for, is to hear it from you directly, uh, connect you with the right people, et cetera.
0: Fantastic. Well, Andrew, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy day. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Really enjoyed learning more about multi-cloud. And um, yeah, I look forward to having you on the podcast again. Thanks so much. Have a great rest
1: of your day, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe. Have a question or a suggestion for the show? Visit us in the MongoDB community forums at community.mongodb.com.